0: Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and on this podcast, I like to give what I call Blue Jeans Theology. That is theology that's rooted in everyday life so that you can follow Jesus in everyday life. And on today's episode, we are going to talk about something that is very central to following Jesus, that is rooted in the life of faith and trusting God and trying to follow God in the midst of a world where things aren't always super clear. And where what God is doing isn't always super clear. And that topic is the topic of waiting. Waiting. And it's connected not only to following Jesus, it's also connected to the present season. It's the beginning of December. It's the Christmas season. In fact, my family and I were up in the mountains over the weekend with a group of friends in the snow, hiking through the hills to find a Christmas tree, cut it down, and bring it home. It's been a tradition that we've done in my family for over 15 years. So we're in the midst of this Christmas season, and waiting is connected to the Christmas season because the weeks leading up to Christmas have traditionally been called Advent, and Advent is a waiting season. So I don't know about you, but me personally, I'm not very good at waiting. If you put me in a long line at a grocery store, I'm trying to find out, is there a shorter line that's moving faster? Should I hop lines or not? I don't want to have to wait very long. Or sitting in a long line uh, where I'm in a drive through at the bank or at a restaurant, and it's like, oh, i got to wait. This line is taking forever. I don't know if you can identify with that, but that's me. I, I'm not good at waiting. I don't like to just sit and wait. I don't like to stand in lines, right? I'm on a, a call with the bank or with you know some company, and I, you get the robocall, right, where you get the computer, and instead of getting a person, and now you're on hold, and you're waiting, and you're waiting you're still waiting. And they're playing their little music in the background. And they keep telling you, sorry to keep you waiting so long. A customer service agent will be with you as shortly. And shortly goes by. And all of a sudden you're still waiting and waiting, right? I don't do good with waiting. It's something I, I have to work hard at to be patient while waiting. But here's what the long story of Scripture teaches us. It teaches us that God's not in a hurry. God wants us to learn how to wait, to wait specifically on Him, and to wait on Him fulfilling His promises and what He's up to doing. And Advent, this traditional season of waiting, is all about waiting on God. In fact, the idea of waiting is set to music in the classic Christmas carol that says, Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. And that opening line, come thou long-expected Jesus. Well, that's, that's a waiting line, right? And that's where we're at in the Advent season. And the story of Scripture has a lot to say about waiting. And so what I want to do in this episode is I want us just to reflect on at least part of the long story of Scripture in this context of come thou long expected Jesus. When God first made people, clear back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1 through 3, and God makes human beings, he created us as men and women to be his co-rulers over the earth. God's the great king over all the earth, but we are like co-regents with him made to Embody his wisdom and his goodness and care for the world on his behalf in partnership with him. But God's enemy, the serpent, deceived the human beings, and we humans broke faith with our maker and our king. And the result of that, according to the story of the Bible, was we cast the earth and the world into all sorts of brokenness and ruin as a result of our faithlessness. And so, as a result of that, a curse was placed upon the entire earth, a curse sent by God, and along with it, a promise, a mere hint that God would someday vanquish the serpent and rescue human beings from the curse. Well, that hint of a promise that first shows up in Genesis 3.15, that hint finds focus eventually in the story of scripture in a man named Abram or Abraham, same person, two different names. So Abram is going to be the, the focus of this hint of a solution. And God says to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, he says, Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, "...to the land which I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing." Notice, blessing stands in contrast to cursing, right? Bless, curse, these are opposites, and a curse lay upon the earth. And God is now saying that through you, Abram, I am going to deal with this, you're going to be a blessing." The promise in Genesis 12 goes on and says in verse 3, And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and catch this, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so the curse of sin and death and brokenness and shame and despair that was unleashed on this world because of humankind's faithlessness to their maker and their king, that curse is going to be undone. In and through Abram and his family, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so, through Abraham, God is going to reverse the curse and bring a blessing to the world. But it takes time. In fact, just in Abraham's own life itself, it takes time. And Abraham gets impatient. He takes matters into his own hands and figures, maybe this is what God meant. This is how God is going to do it. And so, he has a child through his... His servant, Hagar, and that that child's name is Ishmael. And God tells him, no, that's not the way. It's actually going to be through Sarah. And they're now old. They're advanced in years. They're past childbearing years. And yet God fulfills his promise. And he gives Abraham a son. And he gives him many more sons after that. Um, And God fulfilled his promise to Abraham. And eventually, Abraham's uh, son, Isaac, has his own sons, his own kids, right? And um, and then it's Jacob, Isaac's son, that becomes Israel, and it's the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel, who become the nation of Israel. I will make you, God had said to Abraham, into a great nation. And several generations down the line, all of a sudden now, there are many sons of Abraham who are now the sons of Israel, who become the great nation of Israel, and Israel eventually Uh, finds itself in slavery in Egypt, but God delivers them from Egypt and leads them into the promised land. We're whipping through this story, right? There's a whole lot more to that. But for our sake today, I want to focus on just this promise to reverse the curse. This promise that found its focus in Abraham and that promise that finds its initial fulfillment in Jacob and Jacob's sons in Israel. And now God leads Israel into the promised land and Israel settles in the land. And eventually Israel wants a king like all the nations around them have a king. God, we need a king. And God raises up a king by the name of Saul. And Saul is the first king of Israel, and yet because of Saul's own faithlessness and Saul's own disobedience, God says, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from Saul and I'm going to give it to another. And the person that God gives it to is a man who he says will be faithful to me, will be loyal to me, uh, a man by the name of David. And we know David's not perfect, but even in his imperfection, David trusted God and was faithful to him. And so uh, God gives the kingdom to David and promises, you're going to be a king. Um, and in David, the promise that was given to Abraham finds even sharper focus. Now, now that promise finds its focus on David. And David's family line, we keep narrowing down this promise, sharpening the focus of the promise, and now it's going to be focused on David and David's line. But here's what we have to remember. When we get to David and the sharpening of the focus on David, it's been one Thousand years since Abraham, catch that. It's been one thousand years since Abraham. By the time we get to David, and it'll be another one thousand years until we get to uh, the long-awaited Messiah. Right. So we're in the middle of this story from Abraham to Jesus at King David, and we're waiting a thousand years. And this is what God says to David, Second Samuel chapter seven. God makes this promise to David that is a, an even sharper, clearer promise about how God is going to reverse the curse through the lineage of Abraham. God says to David, when your days are finished and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come from you and I will establish his kingdom. And he will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. So the promise is that there is going to be a dynasty on David's throne forever. There is going to be a descendant of David ruling forever. That's the promise. And we know historically that um, throughout the history of Israel, David's dynasty uh, continued throughout his throughout Israel's history. Yes, the nation broke in two, and you had the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, but the southern kingdom was ruled by a descendant of David for for centuries after David's time. And so his his kingdom will be forever. I will be a father to him. He will be a son to me. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the strokes of, of sons of mankind. But my favor shall not depart for him. As I took the kingdom away from Saul, whom I removed from you. And so God's not going to do that. God's saying, I'm not going to take the kingdom away from you, David. Your house, here it is, and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. And so now the promise is is focused down on David. And David's throne and the lineage of David and this promise finds poetic fulfillment or poetic expression, I should say, in the Psalms. Psalm chapter 2, speaking of the Davidic king says, But as for me, God speaking, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will announce the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will certainly give you the nations as your inheritance, and the ends of your earth as your possession. And so, now we have this narrowed down, focused vision that started out as this hint in Genesis 3.15. And then, uh, became sharper and clearly focused on Abraham and Abraham's descendants. And then it became narrowed down a thousand years later on David and his royal throne. And that somehow that, that descendant of David is now going to be God's king. And he'll be like a son to him. And God's going to give him all the nations as inheritance. And we know from Genesis 12 and the promise to Abraham that in doing that, that's his way of bringing His blessing to the world that lies under a curse. Well then, a few hundred years later, after the promise to David, a few hundred years later, the promise finds even sharper focus in the prophets. For example, Micah chapter 5 says this, But as for you, O Bethlehem, Ephathra, too little to be among the clans of Judah from you, Will come forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His times of coming forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So somehow a king is going to come from the very village of David, Bethlehem, a small, little insignificant village, nonetheless, a ruler in Israel whose comings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So some ruler With eternal origins is going to come from Bethlehem. And here we are with this refrain from the classic Christmas carol, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And at this point, when we get to Micah 5, from Abraham to Micah 5 is like 1300 years. 1300 years. It's been several hundred years since David and things keep getting clearer, but they still aren't super clear. Uh, And it's not clear exactly when this will be. And we're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting. Like, put yourself in the sandals of a faithful, devout Jew in David's day who knows the promised Abraham, who has the hints and the glimpses in the the poems of the Psalms, who perhaps, uh, maybe after David's day, reading Samuel, sees the promise of David, they hear this promise to Micah, and they're waiting, and they're wondering, and they're anticipating God, and they look around at their nation, and they see the chaos going on in Israel, and the idolatry, and the unfaithfulness. They hear the warnings of the prophets. They see the hints of hope, and they're wondering what it all means, and what God is going to do, and they're waiting, and they're waiting. And the reality is, Israel never could get its act together. They kept violating God's covenant. And the covenant had come with warnings that, here's what would happen, Israel, if you failed to keep the covenant. They would be cursed, and they would be removed from the land, just like Adam and Eve had been removed from the Garden of Eden, clear back at the beginning. Israel would be expelled from the promised land if they couldn't keep the, the promise of God, and they too would fall under a curse. And so the promise, the prophets kept warning them and reminding them of the covenant. They kept calling them to be faithful. They kept warning them of the curses that lay ahead if they refused to keep the covenant. And Israel never did get their act together together. They kept violating the covenant. And eventually, the worst happened. First, the northern part of the nation was overrun by the Assyrians and absolutely destroyed. That happened in about 722 BC. And then, about 130 or so years after that, the southern kingdom itself, the kingdom of Judah, the kingdom where David's line was, fell prey to the Babylonians. And Jerusalem, the capital, was laid waste. The temple, like the centerpiece of their covenant with God and their relationship with God was destroyed and leveled. And the promise is unfulfilled. All of a sudden, there's no longer a king on David's throne. All of a sudden, the land is laid waste. The temple is destroyed. And the question is, what now? What now, God? I thought you said there would be a king on David's throne forever. I read Psalm chapter 2 and I heard what you said and how you were going to raise up this great king and he, he would rule over all the nations. I heard what you said in Micah chapter 5, God, about uh, bringing forth a, a ruler whose comings forth were from long ago, from the days of eternity past. And yet, here we are, God. The promise is unfulfilled. What now? And it's in that context. That you can open up your Bible and you can read, for example, Psalm 137. And you can hear the agony and the mourning and almost the, the lost longing of a devout Jew in these days where it looks like, wait a second, God, this is not what we expected. This is not what the promise said. And so Psalm 137 reads like this. Let me just read a few verses of Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. Do you see the picture? They're sitting by the river and now in Babylon, exiled from their land, right? Uh, In Babylonian captivity, they're sitting by the river and the poplars are growing by the river and they take their harps and they hang them up and they're like, I can't even play my harp anymore. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joys. they said to us, sing one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while sitting in a foreign land? And this is the melancholy note. The minor key we find ourselves in, in 586 BC, 586 years before Jesus, uh, Jerusalem is laid waste, the temple is destroyed, God's people are expelled from the land, and they're now sitting in Babylon. The promise is unfulfilled, and we sit wondering, what now? What about the promise now? And here's the reality. What now is part of walking with God? In fact, through this long story, this 1500 year story since the days of Abraham, there's been lots of little individual what nows throughout that story. Abraham waiting for a son for decades and then finally getting his son Isaac and then having Isaac as a teenager and being told, offer him up. Offer him up to me, Genesis 22. Oh, one of the most gut-wrenching stories in the book of Genesis. Offer him up. Lord, if I do that, how will the promise be fulfilled? What now? Israel, the people of promise, enslaved in Egypt. What now? David, anointed king, but then on the run, hiding from Saul for years before coming into his kingdom. What now? What now is part of walking with God? But here's the thing. If you're a faithful Israelite sitting by the river of Babylon, you have glimmers of hope. The prophets held out glimmers of hope. So imagine this faithful Jew clinging to that, though the dynasty would be cut down and Jesse or David's line would be a mere stump. Isaiah had said, A shoot would still spring forth from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's father. The people would return, Isaiah said, in other places. It would be like a new exodus. They would come back through the desert to their homeland. And so the faithful remnant, in the midst of this massive moment of what now, I imagine them clinging to these images of hope, wondering, praying, agonizing, waiting. And we know... We know because we have the rest of the story that God indeed fulfilled his word, that they did return through the desert to their homeland like a new exodus. We know uh, that uh, God fulfilled these glimmers of hope, these promises. And here's what that means. That should stir in you and in me faith and hope in us when we're faced with our own what now of walking with God. What now, God? And we look back and we realize over the long, tortuous, agonizing story, God moves slowly. And God isn't opposed to making his people go through those moments of what now. And so as we look over the long story from Abraham up to the destruction of Jerusalem, and we're waiting for the long expected Jesus. Well, from our vantage point, we know what God did. He sent his son. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. And that should stir in us. You and it should stir in me faith and hope uh, and trust when we're not sure what God is up to in this world and when we're waiting for God to act. So as you wait for Christmas, carve out some time just to ponder the promises of God, the long story of God, and let it fuel within you hope in the midst of waiting on God. Hey, thanks for tuning in to This episode of the Bible in Life podcast, as always, I want to say a special thank you to my patrons on my Patreon page and to those who support through World Family Mission. Literally, this ministry is made possible because of your generosity. So thanks a ton. If you have been impacted or encouraged in some way by this ministry and you want to support the show, you can do so by going to World Family Mission and clicking on my name and you can donate through Rural Family Mission. All donations given there are tax deductible. I'll put a link to that down in the notes below. God bless you guys. I hope you have a blessed Christmas and Advent season and I look forward to talking to you again next week.